Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bonsai Wire podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jonas Dupuis, here with... I'm Bob Pressler, owner of Kimura Bonsai Nursery. And... I'm Michael Roberts, and I'm a hobbyist here in Southern California. I do a little uh, workshops here at Kimura, and I, I just started as the chair of uh, GSBF. And so we are hanging out post-workshop down here talking about what's been making the bonsai community tick down here. Now, Michael, you were just talking about what um, you're in a unique position as president of the Golden State Bonsai Federation, which for those who don't know, is the parent organization for all of the clubs in California and beyond. And so what have you been working on with that? What does that look like these days? uh, um, Well, for for the most part, we have our third rendezvous coming up um, in October. And so a good share of what we've been doing the past few months is organizing and planning and putting all the pieces in place for the, uh, the rendezvous. And not much else has happened other than that. And so what is the event? How would you characterize it for people who are thinking about coming? What, what will they get to do or see when they show up? The emphasis Um, that we're trying to place on the GSBF is um, not only as a community organization, but uh, educational. Um, So we're offering uh, eight free educational seminars to everyone that attends. Um, We have over 20 different workshops that uh, that are actually you have to sign up for and pay for but uh, people who have all-day passes will be a- able to watch um, as uh, silent observers. We have uh, Bjorn um, coming as our headliner this year. Nice. And he's going to be working on a nice Tom Vaughn collected Utah juniper. Yeah, it's a nice that, tree. That will be up for uh, auction on at our Saturday night uh, awards banquet. We have... Uh, Joshua Roth is sponsoring the Joshua Roth, uh, we call it Rising Stars uh, competition. But and that's the, going to be a little bit tweaked from the way it was in the past. Yes. The Rising Stars, it, Rising Stars is not really what it is. These are sort of the next generation of bonsai professionals in the California area. And we've been worked very hard to try to get people from all parts of the state. So we've got people from San Diego, a couple from uh, Orange County and LA, and then up in the Bay Area, I think we've got uh, six overall practitioners. And they'll be working on material that was supplied by Ed Clark um, at about half price. Beautiful uh, Itogawa uh, junipers with probably two inch bases on them, four, four feet across and about two and a half or three feet tall lovely movement and lots of internal growth they're going to be excellent trees nice so looking forward to it it's going to be a great great event i'm glad you brought up the point of them being the next generation of professionals or teachers because that's what we need and that's probably the single biggest thing we missed in southern california over the last three decades was training the next generation of teachers. We had John Naka and Ben Oki and all of those guys, and then nobody else. Yeah, there was a couple of us that kind of slipped in there mm-hmm. um, just because we did, but there was never any kind of um, program or, or emphasis on training the next generation of teachers. And a lot of these guys never stopped. I mean, you know, they were teaching and doing workshops and stuff until they died. Um, You know, John retired three times and kept pulling them back in and kept pulling them back in. And, um, you know, I think that that was probably what caused what used to be known as the Mecca of Bonsai in the U.S., which was Southern California, to really decline from the mid 90s until just maybe the last five or six years and so i'd say five or six years ago you as much as anyone started what felt like bootstrapping southern california back into a position of being able to start transferring more information down here 
And it's funny, I don't feel that way. Um, what happened five or six years ago is I took over as president of California Bonsai Society. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I did, I was not at all interested in being part of a bonsai club. I hadn't even paid my dues in like five or six years. <laughs> um, you know, um, but Lindsay, Lindsay Sheba, the past president, sent out a letter one day saying that he couldn't do it anymore. He'd been doing it for like almost 10 years and um, he just couldn't do it anymore. He was shutting down a family business after 60 years and you know somebody else needed to take over. And in this letter he said, if somebody else doesn't take over, we're just gonna have to fold up the club. And even though I didn't wanna have anything to do with the club, just the idea of CBS folding was heartbreaking because it's a huge piece of American bonsai history. Yeah. You know, um, it's almost 75 years old. In 2025, it'll be the 75th anniversary. Wow. It's the oldest English-speaking club in the country. And, you know, for a long time, it was the club long to belong time. to. I yeah. mean, you know, for decades, if you were a member of CBS, then, you know. That meant you, something. You, yeah, exactly. That meant somebody. You were somebody. And you yeah. could go almost anywhere in the world and you know, mentioned that you were a member of CBS and people just automatically accepted that you knew what you were doing and you knew what you talked about. And people look for those books to this day, like from mm -hmm. the shows. So, um, but you know, they never trained, like John Naka's club, Nampukai, was essentially to train teachers. But it was that single core of teachers. Mm -hmm. And it never really increased after that. So um, we had this big gap where we didn't have any new teachers and, or new ideas which was even I think more important yeah I think because so. everybody held on to the old ideas which back in the day may have been cutting edge but you know over the last few decades a lot of things have changed and we've learned a lot we've learned a lot of horticultural stuff we learned yeah. a lot of aesthetic stuff learned a lot of new techniques and none of that stuff really ever took hold here mm -hmm. And um, it really caused bonsai in Southern California to stagnate. It stuck out like a sore thumb when you started bringing in people from outside. Because I thought to myself, look at this. All these people are coming in, which means everyone in all of... Because there's a lot of clubs down here in Southern California. Oh, yeah. A lot of clubs and a lot of healthy clubs. And now they're getting new information from new teachers, new perspectives, new approaches to doing this, that might fire things up a little bit. And so how does it feel after five or six years of doing this? Um, I think that part of it's a success. It really is. Um, we have just in the third week of each month, there's five or maybe six clubs that meet in that one week, which works for us because that means when we bring in a visiting artist, we could share it with five different clubs. They can run the circuit. So, um, you know, all these clubs that typically wouldn't be able to afford to bring somebody from Japan or Europe or wherever actually get the opportunity to have these people. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I see it in people's trees. I see the results of having some of these guys come in or some of these women come in in people's trees. People are paying attention. Yeah. You know, we're live streaming all of their demos and stuff. Mm -hmm. And people really appreciate it and they're they're learning from it and that makes me happy and it's leaving behind beautiful trees as well so the people are more enthusiastic and there are some good trees i remember seeing so much of the work that mauro was posting when he was coming to town i thought all right you know mm -hmm. things are changing because that was a marked difference from say 10 years ago or 20 years ago right i think and, i think to one of the other things that um, Bob has started to do that's really telling is that, you know, people aren't just coming in and styling a juniper anymore. They're actually teaching technique and, and showing you, you know, seasonally appropriate things that you should be doing to all varieties of trees. Uh -huh. And people are finding that immensely educational and, and they're really diving in and working on their trees have, after having learned that information. And I think people are hungry for that information. You know, um, a lot of stuff was kind of skipped over over the years, <laughs> technique-wise and stuff. You know, it's like, you know, I used to go to classes with uh, Ben Oki and a bunch of those guys. And you'd go to class, you'd bring in a tree, and they'd come look at it. And Ben would pick up a pair of scissors and start pruning. 
and there wasn't any discussion about you know what do you think what you know what you have plans for this where's your front where's you know it was like this is this this is your front here's your sister and that just didn't work for me wow i was like no i i that's not what i want to do with this tree you know i want to do something else and um it's not like the metaphor of bringing it to an auto shop and having the mechanic do all the work right you know and especially in workshops and stuff i mean my idea is a workshop is a workshop you know you come to a workshop you should be prepared to work if you want whoever's running the workshop to work on your trees fine pay for them to work on your trees not teach a workshop is yep. you know two different things so um and that's what they did they would just start working on your trees well and, and to that point though i think what the instruction is is you get to ask questions why this not that you know what would why is this a, a better technique than that right. or i want to do this and you get the instruction with well this isn't really appropriate for this style of tree or this you know type of tree or maybe this might be a better solution but or this season or whatever i think one uh, one thing that having a bunch of different people come in is that um almost everybody we've had come in their main concern is always the health of the tree first hmm. and that wasn't always the case <laughs> you know um you know i i've been to several workshops with you know some of these old timers where even if the tree wasn't really healthy, I think they kind of felt like they had to do something to it. And I don't know if it was, you know, why, but, you know, they were really reluctant to say, this tree's not healthy. This tree's not ready for this. You know, this, you shouldn't be doing this now. This is what this tree needs. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know quite why that, that is, you know, maybe it's, it's that perceived pressure to do something. Yeah. And, um, harmful to the trees oh yeah you know um and and you know and i kind of get it in a way because especially your beginning students they want to do something they want to see something they want to see some results right. um you know they don't want to like put a piece of wire on a trunk and okay you got movement in the trunk now you need to let it grow and develop they don't want to hear that you know well um, so on that note it actually makes me really curious you have the unique perspective of having brought in so many super diverse people from literally all over the world have you found a, either any patterns or any particularly effective things that people have done? In other words, what is it that the students have really glommed on to or responded strongly to having seen all these different people come and present? Because I'm just wondering, a lot of people are going to these presentations and doing these kind of presentations and what's been resonating with the Southern California crowd? You know, you both have are participating in different clubs down here and I think part of it is the fact that it's different. You know, for decades it was the same dozen demonstrators that demonstrated it at every club. Mm -hmm. There was an idea that we don't need anybody else. Like when I first brought up the idea of bringing in outside artists, people were like, "Why? We don't need anybody else here. We're all masters, you know, we all know what we're doing." And Personally, I think master is one of the most overly used terms <laughs> in bonsai, you know. Um, but, but that kind of attitude is really prevalent that, you know, we knew it all. And the fact of the matter is we didn't. I mean, all you had to do was, like, look at pictures of trees in, in Europe or in Asia and look at pictures of trees here, and they still look like they looked in the 1980s. That's right. Because we were still doing the same things we did to them in the 80s. So people are excited about getting new ideas and seeing the results. It's been long enough now that people are actually seeing the results of some of these new ideas. And they're saying, wow, this stuff really does work. Have um, you corrected course along the way? Or are you just still bringing in different people all the time going with that kind of diversity approach? Uh, so far, it's been, I've been trying to bring in different people all the time. But eventually, we're going to get to the point where you know, um, we just can't keep getting new people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll have kind of a, a core group of people, I think, that we can, you know, start bringing in. One thing we talked about, I know, in terms of the expo was very few trees weren't getting regular attention from really highly trained people. 
do you now have in Southern California some of the support system that would help local people really get their trees to a high level or just help people with their own skill? Because it's really hard to level up solely by watching different presentations every month. Right. Um, it's getting there. It's not nearly, we don't have nearly the number of professionals that some other areas do. Uh, you know, like for instance, Portland or Northern California. Mm -hmm. But there are some. And we're getting new ones. And, uh, and unfortunately, some of the new younger ones are having a bit of a hard time because they're young and people are, you know, for whatever reason, not accepting the fact that, you know, these guys actually are professionals and they know what they're doing. So it's, you know, a little bit difficult for them, but they're sticking with it and they're pushing through it and making a difference. Uh -huh. And um, I think people are becoming more and more willing to ask for help. Mm, nice. Um, you know, it, for years it was just, we don't need any help. You know, <laughs> we know what we're doing. And that's obviously not the case. So, um, Have you noticed the same kind of things? Absolutely. Uh, there's no question that I, um, there has been, in, in my mind, um, there are, the number of people that have been doing this long term in Southern California on any kind of a, a quality level has diminished. Mm -hmm. And so as the newer generation is coming along, they're um, more interested in <clears throat> doing something new and different. And so these younger professionals that we have in the area are starting to get a lot more attention. It's just going to take time. Yeah. And you need more probably. Yes, oh, absolutely. I mean, with I mean, all the clubs you have down here, that's a lot of opportunity for and, programs. you know, frankly, um, there's more people doing bonsai that are not part of clubs than there are that are part of clubs. Yeah. 97% of my customer base, and this has been true since day one, you know, 30 years ago, don't belong to a bonsai club. A very small percentage of the bonsai community is in a club. Now, that's often a lot of people with one or two trees, but... Not everybody. There are some people with some amazing collections that have yet to step foot in a club meeting anywhere. Right. And and there's a bunch of reasons for that, too. And I yeah. think part of that is a lot of clubs haven't changed. You know, a lot of clubs are the way they were back in the you know 80s and 90s. And the clubs that have changed, the clubs that have embraced technology, new teachers, new ideas and stuff, have grown and really kind of sh are shining. San Diego. San Diego is such San a good Diego example is, of that. is awesome. They're probably, in my opinion, one of the best clubs in the country. They're awesome. Daiichi Bonsai, another one. You know, they're awesome. They're constantly doing stuff. Their members are happy. They're, you know, their members are learning stuff. They're happy to, to jump in and help out because the club is so good. Um, what are making these clubs spark? What do you think? So I, <clears throat> we actually just did a whole survey of... Ah. of the most successful clubs. And so what we did was we reached out to all of the clubs and we asked them, you know, what has been your growth over the last three years? I mean, where were you at the end of the pandemic? Where were you a year later? Where were you? And then so up mm -hmm. to, and we've seen some clubs with over a hundred percent growth. And, you know, what is it that you're doing that's, that's causing that kind of growth? What is, you know, what kind of programs do you have in place that are helping you grow like that? What is it that's attracting the new people? And there are several different things that they're doing, you know, and Bob's mentioned a couple. There, there's new members come in. They're coming because they want help to learn. And just seeing somebody stand up in front of the, of the club and style a juniper doesn't really show them what they need. So, you know, Clubs like Daiichi, for instance, was one of our winners. They, they actually brought in, they have you know, a workshop where they bring junipers in and people, older members come in and help them style, show them how to, you know, huh. beginning, beginnings of a tree. So and meet the, people's needs. And if they're coming with the need of help me with my tree by providing those workshops, yeah, exactly. they're addressing that need. And uh, they're, you know, they're doing a lot more question and answer kinds of things within uh, mm. the club meetings. They're, uh, yeah, so 
Uh, there's another club up in uh, Northern California, the San Mateo Club. They started what they call the buddy system. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you guys know about this, but what they do is they have newer members come in and they assign older members to be like a buddy to help show them you know where to go to buy material how to what kinds of material work well how to get it started that kind of thing and uh so they be, become like you know a surrogate in a way and then you know walk them through uh let's portland see, has had a program like that for a long time that's been successful a mentoring yeah. program yeah and years ago that kind of stuff at least here in southern california just wasn't done it was kept secret Oh. People didn't want to tell you where to go to get the good trees. You know, they they uh. they, they want to keep that stuff secret. <coughs> Interesting. You know, and I think that's one of the things now that's a big difference is that people, especially the the newer people, the newer professionals and the newer teachers and stuff, are more willing to share, you know, what they know and not hold things back. Yeah. And that's a big difference. I think that there was always the idea that. John Naka and Ben Oki and all those guys, as good as they all were, and as much as they gave it to people, they never gave it all. You know, they always held stuff back. It's, um, and, and again, I don't know why. Maybe it was ego. Maybe it was, you know, teacher doesn't want to get, want the student to surpass them or whatever the, the reason was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it may just be a cultural thing. It may be just be that's the way they taught. You know, and things are different now with, with younger teachers. Um, and I think the Internet has a lot to do with it. You know, there's just a lot more information out there than there ever was before. Um, so there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Funny enough, one of the clubs that hasn't grown so much is CBS. It's somewhat embarrassing that, you know, when we bring in these visiting artists from all over the place, the CBS meeting is the one with the least number of, of people there. Uh. But, you know, I mean, it, it's still a club that's really in flux. Um, you know, the, the average age of members is still way up there. Probably 70-something would be <laughs> the average age. So um, that doesn't bother me quite so much because mm -hmm. we still get to do what, we, what I set out wanting to do, which was to be a resource for the Bozai community. Mm -hmm. One so, of the things that Bob's doing that he gets little or no credit for at all is that he has this Binoki scholarship fund. Yeah. And he, he and the committee from CBS take applications each year for some advanced study. People apply for a $1,000 scholarship to do um, advanced study work of their choosing. And you got a ton of applicants this last year, didn't you? Yeah, we got... 39, 49, something like that, wow. a bunch. Um, less than I would assume. Uh -huh. you know, I would think that if somebody says, hey, if you're in the bonsai community and you want to you know, learn more and take some advanced classes, all you have to do is, is send an email saying, you know, I want to do this, and then I'm going to... And w one of the things is we want people to give back. We don't want to just give you a 1000 bucks and let right. you go buy a tree and work on it. We want you to go and learn something and then share what you learned. Mm -hmm. So make a video, do a podcast, do a, a blog post, do a demo for some club, something like that. Just something to give back. But um, And how many years now have you been doing that? Five. Five, wow. So, and it's, you know, uh, that was another thing that initially people were like, well, we don't need to give scholarships to people in CBS. You know, it's like, it's not just people in CBS. It's, you know, people, the whole Bonsai community. But just in Los Angeles, right? Like, no, no. the whole bonsai community. Just in California, right? And I was like, no. No. If they can cash a check from an American bank, they can apply. And we've had people from Canada. Uh, we've had apprentices in Japan. We've had people from various states you know, across the country. Yeah. Um, we've had people, local people. Mike was a recipient of one of the grants a couple of years ago. Um, so that's one of the things I'm really proud of is that, you know, we were able to do this and fund it through fundraising. Um, we did a couple of really cool fundraisers for that that helped fund it for a long term. Um, the first big one was um, Ryan Neal restyled a juniper oh, yeah. that Ben collected that I got donated to us. 
specifically to be able to auction it off and fund your seed money, the seed money. And, you know, Ryan, Ryan took it to the stars like Ryan tends to do. And, you know, he did a whole thing that he didn't just restyle the tree. Like I asked him, he restyled the tree, donated a Sarah, beautiful Sarah Raina pot, did a whole podcast about it. He promoted the heck out of it. It Promoted the heck out of it. And we sold the tree for $16,000. Yeah. And then this past year, um, Tommy Lee, who is a, a good friend and student of mine and a member of CVS, we, uh, we were working on trees one day and I said, hey, how would you like to do a, a workshop? Do we auction off a workshop with you to oh, help right, fund right. the scholarship program? And he was like, sure, let's do it. So we auctioned off a Psyche workshop with me and Tommy. And the high bid was $7,050. Nice. You know, to come and do a workshop That's with, so with awesome. Tommy. So it was cool. You know, so it was another way we just raised some money. And things like that. We've got like Tommy Lee. Um, he's been a big part in kind of popularizing bonsai because he's really, really passionate about it. And, you know, he does a lot of social media posts about it and stuff. And, you know, he's got an insane number of followers. And um, people are like, whoa, this dude does bonsai? And it makes people think. And every time Tommy is, like, mentioned the nursery or something, we get people coming in the next you know, week or so afterwards that just are not the typical person that you'd see <laughs> in a bonsai nursery. You know, people come in wearing metal band T-shirts and stuff like that. And, and they're interested because he is. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that's one of the things I really like is seeing people like Tommy not just only get passionate about it, but sharing their passion and making other people passionate about it. He is genuinely enthusiastic about bonsai. Oh, he's super passionate about it. He really loves it. There's a a photo that he posted or Bob posted, somebody posted it, of him on his jet flying to his next (laughs) gig. You know, with bonsai on the table in front of him and headphones on, and he's picking away, having a good time <laughs> styling while he's flying to his next job. It's a yeah, crack up. It, it's you know, it's hilarious. Last year, he uh, the band went on a North American tour, and before they left for the tour, we were working on trees one day at my old place, and um, he was like, "Dude, I don't know what I'm gonna do." You know, every day I go out in the morning, and I spend a couple hours with my trees and. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to have my bonsai. It's like, I'm going to be jonesing. So I said, well, let's find a cool little ficus. We'll make you one that you can bring with you. So we made we made him a little ficus bonsai that he brought on the road with him. And this thing was a trooper. I mean, this thing lived on a tour bus. It was at hotels all across the country. And it's hanging in there, still hanging in there. He calls it Figgy. Nice, nice. Um, but another thing we did was we arranged visits. I said, give me a list of the tour cities. Um, you know, the bonsai world is a small world. I know people all over the country. So he gave me a list of the cities they were touring in, and we made arrangements for him to, like, visit bonsai gardens and stuff all around the country. And it really, I think, made it much easier for him to be on tour all summer. Um, Because, you know, every once in a while he got to, like, take a break from that and and not be the rock star and go to somebody's nursery. And to watch him... You know, this is a guy that when he walks down the street, people are constantly coming up to him. Can I take a selfie? Can I get your autograph? This and that. To watch him walk into a place and treat, you know, this old Japanese guy or, or whoever owns the place like that. You know, like he's so awestruck by these people that, you know, it's kind of cool to see. <laughs> and, you know, his passion has really ignited a lot of passion in a lot of other people. That's so cool. Um, so... You know, that's another thing that's just, like, super, super cool. And it's not just him, though. It's happening. You know, there's younger people finally getting involved. I don't think that it's still an old man's hobby, but I don't think it's quite the exclusive old man's hobby that it used to be. Oh, it's a lot younger. It's a lot younger. And there's also um, more more and more women getting involved, which is something that I feel really strongly about. I think the more women that are involved in bonsai, the better it is going to be for bonsai. I think the more women that are involved in the world, the better it is for the world. But, um, 
you know, so one of the things I do is I try to make sure that we have at least one female bonsai artist every year mm -hmm. as our visiting artist. We, uh, we had a, a workshop last month where we uh, styled some uh, California junipers. Oh, feminine junipers. Oh, fem feminines, okay. And uh, one of the guys brought his wife with him. And so she was sitting in the corner and we'd, we got started and we were actually kind of determining where the front was and doing all the regular kind of stuff and you know he's talking about what he wants and that and she starts asking questions and it's like well what about this and what about that and, and it becomes this really interactive thing between he and her and the, and you could tell she was as excited as he was about it and I bet that within a very short period of time, next time they come, she's going to be getting her own tree and working on it. That happened this morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In today's workshop. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah that, Sarah came along just because you know, she was with her boyfriend and they drove and he from, wanted to from take Tucson. Class. And he yeah. wanted to take the class and so she was just being supportive. Super game for it. And then, you know, wound up being a Within about 20 minutes, she walked out with, I think, three new trees. <laughs> She'd worked on every other person's well, tree. Well, and he, yeah. he gets tired and he's sitting over the side talking to, to Bob and she's still working on trees with, <laughs> yeah. you know, other every people. Yeah, so, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. I, that was a great workshop today. <laughs> that was super um, fun. So, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, when you did that tour, that really, it gave me flashbacks. I did what's possibly one of the first bonsai and baseball tours where a friend and I actually drove from San Francisco to New York to Atlanta and back home. And every night we stopped with either one of my bonsai friends or we saw a local baseball game. Oh, cool. And it was like the strangest trip in the world, but it was absolutely fantastic. Because I got to visit all, you talk about the small bonsai world. We got to visit and I got all these friends I had all over. This was 2002, mind you. I got to see their gardens and see how are things grown over here. Yeah. It was just such a good time. It really is. It's awesome. So I'm and glad that you and Tommy got to do that. Surprisingly to me, how many bonsai people are Motley Crue fans? That's a big overlap that no one saw coming. Um, yeah, <laughs> I never did. You know, I, Even in personally, Japan. Personally, you know, Tommy, I hope you don't ever hear this. I never was and still am not a Motley Crue fan. <laughs> and before I went on tour with them, if somebody had said, if I was on that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And they played Girls, Girls, Girls. I would have said, without a doubt, knowing full well I was going to make a million bucks, that that was Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, you know, um, it's funny how the doors that open up because of Bonsai. Yeah. You know. Um, and that was one of the first albums that I bought a million years ago. And it just never occurred to me that I would be doing bonsai, let alone that they would be doing bonsai. Or that and you I would was, be in a workshop teaching Tommy Lee let alone. about bonsai. <laughs> and, and I was one of the rare kids who actually knew what bonsai was from a very early age. There's photos of me walking around my dad's garden where it's just tons of... He, he didn't do bonsai per se, but we did have one bonsai in the garden, but he loved dwarf conifers and he'd build little wooden boxes for them. And there's little pictures of me in diapers, literally walking around all these small <laughs> conifers in pots on the patio. It weren't exactly bonsai, but like there was never a time when I didn't kind of know what it was. And it just didn't so, occur to me until after college and when I met Boone that it would have anything, there'd be anything more to it than that. Right. So, and it's occurring to more and more people. Um, you know, the pandemic was just horrific. But it was a huge shot in the arm to bonsai. The acceleration's been nuts in recent yeah, years. Yeah, prior to the pandemic, I think the, the last thing that kind of like popularized bonsai was the Karate Kid. Yes. You know, I and mean, that was that, multi generational influence. Right. And over a long, you know, decades. But the, the pandemic, just in a much shorter period of time, brought in a much larger and younger group of people. Yeah. And we're now seeing bonsai in more movies, in more commercials, and in the new Karate Kid shows. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah. It's in Dune for some reason. There's <laughs> there was actually some pretty cool there. bonsai in Dune. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know whose so. trees those were or who came up with that? I don't know. I don't um, know. Might have been somebody in Australia because I think they filmed a lot of it in Australia uh, or New okay. Zealand. I have to follow up on that. I was going to ask, what else in that survey of clubs did you find that people were doing interesting, that was successful? Did it have to do with 
kind of how they ran it? Did it have to do with reaching out on social media? Did it have to? A lot of social media has oh, okay. helped. Um, I do know that uh, one of the Sacramento clubs is working really closely with a lot of the national bonsai artists and trying to bring in what amounts to headliners for the for the most part to do um, talks and that sort of thing at their club and then they make sure that they're going around to some of the other local clubs so it's a lot of sharing right. of cost and uh, you know they've had that's people awesome. yeah that's super you know, smart and um, and then they record those uh, they're and post them on their website and so all of that stuff Jonas you did one for those them. get watched they do get watched they get watched a lot yeah and, and uh, over a long period of time um, yes last year I looked at one of the live streams that we did with um, Tomohiro uh -huh. four years ago five years ago whatever it was and you know the first week or so it had a couple thousand views and then it had like 20,000 views. That, so people have been watching it, you yeah. know, since it happened. They keep growing. And they, you know, the people keep seeing. And, then, and that's, again, you know, it's more and more younger people looking for more and more information about bonsai. And, you know, the internet, Google can be your friend. Yeah. Are you so, going to be publishing the results of the survey you did? We, it's, it's up. Oh, it's up. Oh, um, great. And so um, actually there's, um, where some of the highlights from that survey will be in the newsletter, which I think went out today. Oh, wow. But then there is a whole page summary that's, that's going to be posted on the website that so that all of the clubs that participated will be able to go back and see, um, you know, what the ideas were and all of that sort of thing. I I'll tell you that, share that one of the other people that has uh, really, really helped is Tom Lau has been doing yes. visits mm -hmm. to all of the local gardens here in Southern California, as well as some of the shows and stuff going on up north. And he makes a point of trying to get to everything that he can physically go to. That's got to be making a difference. I love those and videos he, that Tom makes. Absolutely. They're, just, they're awesome. They're friendly. They're fun. And they're honestly awe-inspiring. He goes to some pretty great gardens. Tom, Tom, first of all, Tom's a real showman. He just... he. He keeps a big smile on his face. He knows what the entertainment is, and he and he. But he also helps to keep who whomever he's visiting on point, and he asks yeah. questions, and so they become very informative. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them um, actually get down into the weeds with you know how do you do that, and you know what makes that work for you. Well, and, he gets a lot out of people. Yeah, and so um, I think that that's that's been a big plus. And a lot of people come have joined Bikewin as a result oh, of nice. Tom's videos. And so uh, that's great. I know um, some of the things that I've seen people doing now are um, like what you did for the Sacramento Club, where you went in and actually did a whole setup of how to display Shoheen and what makes a good Shoheen display. Nobody does that kind of stuff. That's, that's good news that's not being shared and you know kudos to you what a great idea first of all and second of all good information top to bottom you oh, know thanks and uh i you know i'm seeing more of that kind of thing uh, uh, you know people talking about how to go out and shop for nursery stock what to look for what not to, what to avoid you know and then what do you do with it when you get it home I think you know, that's what you asked me to talk about at the rendezvous coming up. <laughs> well, it's a good. I think that's going to be a topic. This good fall. topic. Um, yeah. You know, so a lot of good information is getting shared, and as a result of social media, you know, people don't like to. They have a hard time staying in, involved in, if they have to read. You know, <laughs> for me, if I start to read, I fall asleep. It's like. It's not in almost not engaging enough. But if I'm listening to a video, easy. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. And I think Good. the more of that kind of thing that goes on, the better. The other thing that I'm starting to see is that a, not all of the information is good. And, you know, need I've to, talked about this with a lot of people. How do you navigate that? 
I, you know, I, you have a very strong sense. You've taught yourself more lessons than the average person ever will. <laughs> and for having been in bonsai a long time, I would say that a lot of your greatest bonsai strengths were hard-earned, self-taught over long periods of time. So how do you navigate? I know what works for me mm-hmm. in my garden, you know, and my climate. You know, that's, and so I watch what other people say and do, and I think to myself, I could never do that. That would not work <laughs> for me. And that's as much as I can get from it. If I'm, if I'm out, you know, doing, you know, helping people with their trees, mm-hmm. I tell them what works for me and why. And, you know, it may be different if, you know, if you live in a different part of the country or something like that. But I know what, what works for me and why it works. And, and I I've can, seen a couple of your presentations. That's precisely what you tell them. This is what works for me. It's just such a beautiful qualifier that's totally fair and starts getting in the people's ideas. Maybe I've got to figure some of this out for myself. Maybe it's not just a recipe. And that's it. You, because different things work for different people in different places and different times. You know, there's way more than one way to get from A to B. And there are some people, and especially you know, in the old style of teaching, it was that way and that was it. You know, there wasn't there was any room for anything else. And that's not the case. You know, I mean, just here in Los Angeles, we've got, I don't know, what, eight or nine different uh, growing zones? Oh, yeah. You know, so, you know. Yeah, because you're not going to tell Huntington Beach to do the same thing San Diego's doing. Right. It's or the same thing the that same. I'm doing here. Let alone stay, here in Castaic. You know? Yeah, not so, the same. So, um, you know, that, that's an important thing. And, and it's something that, people need to know like this works for me here but you may be you may need to do something different you know there's not just one way to do it so one of my new adventures is actually the direct result of my cbs scholarship or ben oki scholarship from Mm -hmm. last year and that is to further my knowledge of grafting Ah. i started grafting early on with you know simple things like thread grafts and approach grafts and stuff like that and I have my own feelings about what's good and bad about those things. But, um, you know, how to, how to graft junipers and how to uh, graft candles onto pines and those kinds of things, those were always elusive for me. And there are some really good people here in town that know that. We, uh, Fred Miyahara down in San Diego He's the first is, name that comes to my mind. Is, you know, one of the primary teachers. For, I mean, he learned from... Um, Masishi, Masishi, yes. yes, and he spent he was years. By far the best grafter in the country. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and and Fred is really good at sharing that information. Fred's and, awesome. Yeah, and so we should be, you know, we should get Fred involved and help us all learn how to, you know, grafting techniques. When I did talk to Fred, and I will be going down there um, next year in the mm-hmm. early spring, late late winter. Uh, he he basically said to be successful at grafting, you mean, need to be making, you know, 200 grafts a year. Well, this cowboy is not going to be making 200 grafts. Well, it's a, a lot year. more than that. The serious <laughs> guys will make 200 a day, and then after a few months of that, then you can start, and then you start seeing your results from all that. Then, yeah. and only then, are you kind of a serious grafter. But by yeah. far, it's the most underutilized tool in the box to make trees better. And Fred is an awesome resource. He and I have talked a lot about grafting, and I take careful notes when talking to Fred about grafting. So I'd like to see us get Fred more involved in, you know, up here and, you know, in the L.A. area and help us all understand a little bit more about how to do that. I think what Fred would like is for some of his students to, you know, that are a little bit younger to To get more involved, (laughs) Um, you know. And rightfully so. I mean, Fred's been you know, teaching grafting for decades. Um, you know, it, it's time for somebody else to take that mantle. Take that mantle. And, and there are people that are doing it. Tom Vaughn. You know. Tom, Tom does. And Tom but, does things his own way. Like, you know, Tom uh, grafts pine candles in June. Yeah, Tom, he does bud grafting. On well, pines. he, That's he takes he takes actual candles, uh-huh. not last year's growth he takes right. actual candles and plugs them in and i i actually brought a tree to our workshop today where i actually had done that i did i think 
nine different grafts on that tree, and of the nine, uh, four of them took um, for various reasons. I tried to put three grafts on a on a little uh, tree within that forest that wasn't very healthy, and so it didn't take. So there's three of my nine went down the tubes right away, but several of them did. I also didn't pick good candles because I got long um, areas that won't ever have any branches yes. in them. And so uh, I, need, I need to revise what I know. But <laughs> Tom taught me how to do that in you know a couple of hours out at his place. Right. It was really easy to do. I went up and visited Michael Hagedorn, and Michael showed me um, how to do surface layers on deciduous trees. Nice. And came back, and we did a big workshop here at Komorov on uh, Catlin Elms. Um, I did, I helped probably five other people in my own studio do um, surface layers on trees, on material that's, you know, got reverse tapers or long areas of no branching and not, you know, they're just not good material. Right. Or they've got some kind of a tornado of roots growing in the... But if one section of that tree is good... Exactly. Mm -hmm. and so, so you go back and uh, surface layer, put new roots on, you know, from that point up, you're going to have a, a wonderful tree. Well, so I think you're on to something. You're talking about both teaching people to graft and teaching people to layer and how you've learned that and how you're both talking about the importance of others learning that. I think the biggest way we're going to make a dent in the deficit of or dearth of material that everyone's looking for, if everyone can start making more and more of their own material, that's going to be the fastest way we can start meeting the needs of what the overall community is looking and for. And grafting and air layering are two of the quickest ways to yep. really... By improve far. material very quick There's another a, good guy is al rivera yep al's good mm -hmm. al, al's been doing a lot of grafting i've had al do a couple of grafting workshops here um you know um he's he's getting pretty good so so um, you know it's slowly changing you know nothing really fast ever happens fast it's, in bonsai. it's <laughs> difficult it's difficult to find good intermediate material that's, you know, of a size that, you know, you're going to have a tree within five or six years. You know, there's lots of seedling material out there. Uh -huh. And then there's lots of finished material out there. But there's really hard to find material kind of in the, in the middle that's good to work on. And most of that material that you do find has serious issues. Because nursery material, nurserymen don't have the time to devote to you know, working on roots or uh, doing all the pruning and stuff that they need to do and be able to still sell that tree at a reasonable cost. And so if we know how to fix that material, a lot, there's a lot more material available to all of us. And if there's more focus on creating that material, the sooner it'll show up. So Eric right. did a really cool program in the San Francisco club a number of years ago where he did a two-year juniper practicum or maybe three or four meetings a year. They focused on this one batch of junipers and anyone who wanted to participate could use one of their trees or buy a young, it was almost a gallon can. And they learned what do you do in winter? What do you do in spring? What do you do in fall? And they focused on how to do Process. the repot, how to do the wiring, how to do the deadwood. Then they made a game of it to where it was a competition. And after two years, Several of those trees looked like bonsai. They had made bonsai for more or less nothing. And it took, it was just part of just the breathing of the club. There'd be a bonus workshop a couple times a year just for those junipers. And they worked it into the general program. And if more species were available, just basic starting points, and then you started saying, you know what, we're going to do juniper this year and we're going to do. Um, whatever it happens to be, Chinese Elm the next year. Well, and if more and clubs do stuff it. like that, instead of the typical demo raffle, demo raffle, demo raffle, demo raffle thing, if more clubs did more like club workshops, yeah, um, practicums, pra and and yeah, you know, that kind of stuff is going to just a, it's much more interesting to get in there and do something than it right. is to watch somebody from across the room put wire on a tree or, or something. And you actually make material. So today we did a pine workshop, which presupposes that people have pines. We need to be making those pines for people to have to play with. And it was such a good example because how long had your pine been in development, the big, nice, full one? Oh, okay. So I brought 
three three different kind three different levels of development. So most of those trees are um, either uh, the first one was a nursery stock that I bought mm-hmm. for um, you know just a little over a hundred bucks. Second one were were was a tree that I um, developed over the last both the second one and the third one were trees that I developed over the last three years from just you know bare root nursery. Uh, and your seed. mature tree, how long was that one in the works? That's that's probably twenty five years old. And so what I wanted to say is your twenty five year old tree was the most refined tree, and we had a lot of more or less neglected seedlings that were as young as four or five years old and had never been, or at least not been worked on much. Just so different people had every last end of the spectrum right. in there today. And, and a bunch of trees in the middle there too. And so if so. maybe we found ways to put more, and actually some people did take home a couple new trees today, but I think making that material, if that might be a focus for club programs, it's, that's one of the takeaways I'm coming up with is, Let's be making our own material because it doesn't take that long in a lot of cases. That's a good idea, actually. I don't think anybody's doing that. So We're doing it in conventions, and I know at Rendezvous there will be workshops where that's happening, and that's our basic workshop model. But as far as I know, has there ever been follow-up to a convention workshop? No. I mean, I know there has been theoretically somewhere in the country at some point, but in general, that is the one time <laughs> those trees get attention in a lot of cases. Right, and it's a thing that happens with workshops here and it's something that we try we've tried to address by mm-hmm. having you know workshops that we schedule a workshop and then we schedule a follow-up workshop for the same tree um and it's important because you're right i think you know a lot of workshops across the country you know trees get worked on once during the event and then that's it you know they never like yeah. get a chance to advance and people have you know 50 trees that they've done in 50 different workshops so I, I, what I hear Jonas say, saying, and to your point, is that it, it's a process. It's not, it's a, not a one-and-done deal. It's a process. Yeah. You know, and there are certain times a year that you need to work on certain portions of the process. Mm-hmm. And so to start you know, at the beginning, maybe it's five-year-old stock, really simple, and to schedule, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to meet every quarter, for the next three years and and what you get is what you get coming out the end it's not about what we did today or what we do third class or the fourth class it's more about what happens at the 12th or the 16th class it's funny a lot just hearing you say that a lot of stuff's coming to mind next time a club asks me to do a program i might think hey let's make some trees let's see if we can find someone with material and start some trees off. Have people working idea. groups and do it. They can take turns wiring it and do different things. So what? Make what, that material. What I've done for Daiichi and um, Baikwin this year is exactly that. Nice. We what took, species? We took uh, we took cork elms uh-huh. uh, from Something nurseries. with which you're very familiar. We took uh, nursery stock. We cut it down. We we boxed it up and rough pruned it, and we come back. You know, midsummer, and the things are now just exploded, obviously. And you you get gifts in certain areas of the tree where you needed branches and didn't have them. Now you've got them. So you can go in and do some more rough styling to take advantage of those and get rid of the stuff you don't need. You let that run in through the end of the summer, and then you come back one more time mm-hmm. in the in the late summer, early fall, and uh, you you pick and choose and begin to push back and then you repeat that process for the f- the following years and with a very sh- in within a very short period of time you'll find that you've got good ramification and a tree well on its way to becoming uh, something that's going to be pot worthy and that's pretty easy stuff to source it reminds me Boone once did a program where he brought a big 15 gallon shishigashira i'm sure for my dad's nursery and we just made a whole bunch of air layers, and everyone that got the air layers, well, that's all new trees. Like for those who are familiar with Bill Valvanis's book on, you know, classical Japanese bonsai, it is awesome. The starting points, the humble starting points yeah, of, of what trees. he made those trees from. Right. And I think it was a it was it the Kotohime maple. It was like seven trees came from one source. It's some ridiculous thing, and they just they were air layers. 
And that one tree can be, instead of buying a demo for a one and done in a raffle that you never see again, maybe you buy a tree, have a whole bunch of air layers happen during the meeting so then everyone can go home and make their own air layers. And then when those are separated, your club members have a whole bunch of new trees new that trees, way. Yeah. The other thing you said that really sparked some more ideas for a couple of reasons is you mentioned it's not about the one and done or doing the thing. It's about we're getting these trees on the cycle, that there's some group of things that we do to trees at different times of the year that over time is where good bonsai come from. And I think that idea has somehow slipped through, what, 100% of bonsai teaching? How often, like, it's given lip service, but it doesn't feel like we're doing a good job demonstrating. There's this circle of work that trees go through, and we're always trying to get trees into this cycle. And what's it going to take to start teaching the cycle? It's not a calendar as much as, we're just getting them on this wheel and we keep spinning that wheel. I think part of it is people out. that do demonstrations in clubs that have demonstrators need to be able to agree that, okay, we're not going to do style a tree and put it in the raffle today. We're going to take this tree and do what's appropriate to do today and do that. And then in six months or whenever the next appropriate time to work on the tree is, we're going to do another demo and do what's we do that and do that over two or three years. That's so, right. So, so that here, people get a realistic idea of what the process is. Yeah. So, so the to to that point, we had the cork elm uh, is we started with three cork elms, and everybody got to choose which one they wanted us to to do first. So we we boxed that up and rough pruned it and auctioned it off, and then each time we come back, we do another one, which I've already boxed up and got nice. them started, but all three trees return. And get the same treatment, and somebody raffles. We raffle off the second tree, and then on the third time we raffle off the third tree. So all trees go away, but all trees come back, and everybody gets to see what's next for each tree. The person that won it gets to be involved in that that secondary process, and then the, the third phase. They get, you know, they're all part of the deal all the way through. And that That's, also introduces new people to being part of doing demos and stuff. Yeah. You know, which is something that if clubs are going to keep this format where, you know, that's their main way of, of teaching, we need new demonstrators. You know, there's a handful of people that do demonstrations all across the country and that's it, you know. Yeah. Like that was one of the problems here in Southern California. There was like, you know, a dozen or 15 people that did demonstrations month after month after month after month. I mean, like how many times are you going to watch, you know, the same person do the same thing at five different clubs. Yep. And I talk so, to a lot of clubs. I recommend presenters to a lot of clubs all the time. And some well, of them are the household names and some of them are people that very few people have heard of. And, and I, some people just I aren't really comfortable with time. that. But if you ease them in that way, yeah, yeah, they don't quite get that what you're doing. But, you know, once they get up there and they start doing it, and, you know, they're not so uncomfortable about talking in front of a bunch of people. And, you know, you do that once or twice, and then they, well, I can do this. Yep. Because as know, long as you know something that the next person doesn't, then you have value to bring. Exactly. And you made such a good tweak on all of our ideas for making material. If this is an ongoing program, if you're always showing the next step when you're doing the step before that, you're giving people the continuity of saying, by the way, here's the after picture. You're showing them the after while you're doing that work. If you could have these rotating programs, you're teaching some of the most important lessons. This is why we are doing what we're doing. And then you're making even more material. You're and they can actually easier. see the results rather than yeah. just hearing about it. That's a huge improvement on what already sounded like a fun idea to start with. I really like that. It also doesn't need to take up a whole meeting. I know that in oh, our Bale and Bonsai meetings, <laughs> yeah, seriously, we always broke the meeting into several sections. And so there'd be a lecture on a species, and then there'd be an exercise, and then we finished every meeting with display. And so the lecture was the core thing where we learned something. And then we would follow up with, we would rank stands by their formality, or we would do an evaluation exercise, or we would learn some craft or skill like a decandling or grafting, for instance. In the last part of the meeting, we always did member displays, and so people were always show-focused. And so you could easily, if you were doing one of these multi-sectional kind of meetings, 
and now we're going to revisit these helms, and now we're going to do this. It could just be built into kind of the way you mm -hmm. do it. So that's interesting that you bring up that point. There's a, also one of the clubs up north that they have at the end of every one of their club meetings, they actually have a show and tell where people are allowed to bring trees in. Could be for any reason, nice fall color. Something or to share. perhaps they have um, pests and they don't know what to do it and they want to ask everybody, you know, if anybody's got good ideas about it or perhaps they're having a problem, um, you know, getting, you know, the tree to style the way they want because the material's brittle or something like that and they need suggestions. And it's an opportunity for everybody to hear similar problem that they may be having yep. and older members get a chance to respond with their experience. And I thought it was fabulous. And it takes like 10 or 15 well, minutes. Well, that's really common. I'd say a lot of clubs do that. Show and tells are really popular yeah, for that reason. Or niche displays. You know, yep. A couple of clubs have, every month have a couple of members you know, bring in a, a display. That to and me they, is imperative. They put on a little, and you know, and not every club does it. Um, uh, Descanso used to do it. They'd have two members bring mm -hmm. in a, a tree for, you know, a display tree for every show. And um, the Caneo Valley Club did it too. Um, those are the only two local clubs that do that on a consistent basis. But it's always a cool thing. And, and it doesn't take up a lot of time. You know, whoever owns the tree gets up and spends a few minutes and talks about, you know, where the tree came from, how they developed it, how long they've been working on it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it is. It's an important thing. And it also allows people to see, you know, that you can go beyond a stick in a pot. And it starts reinforcing all those ideas that the reason to make bonsai beautiful is when we share the beauty of our trees. And one interesting thing about showing bonsai is very few bonsai get to the same level if they're never shown. It's when you're preparing a tree for show that you're going to make sure exactly. the pot's perfect. You're going to prep it. Not Some people do oil their pots at home and they do the top dressings, but it's rare for any person to have the top dressing, the polished pot, the every perfect bit of the silhouette, having timed it a year beforehand to know that the new growth is going to come out right. When the clubs help people focus on shows, what they're doing is helping people focus on quality. And if you can bake that into more meetings, you can just build in the expectations. This is why we're doing this. These are our goals. And this is yet a whole other set of things we can do to make our trees more beautiful. And that's, I agree, that is not happening a lot right now. No. And I think there's a huge area for opportunity in terms of clubs um, really preparing members for shows year-round rather than, okay, pull out the weeds and put them in the show. What do we do with the people that aren't in clubs and don't have an opportunity to show their trees other than in their garden or whatever? Ooh, good question. What's come to mind so far? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> so what Boone did for BIB started out as a member show, but very soon after his clients had the ability to show in BIB and then the intensive students, the people who came in from out of town and studied with us, they would show their trees in the show. So they're members of sorts. And towards the end, people that were close to someone in the club were invited to come and show. And so there's a lot of different models for where the bar is. We wanted an open show that anyone could participate in when we put together our show last fall. And that's not going to be the show for everybody. But I do think there is value to having clubs open up spaces in a show because then it might open up some membership opportunities there's or some too, people yeah. who want to take a workshop. Um, there's a lot of different ways to play bonsai, and those might open up some new doors for people. Yeah, like the in um, every year in August they have the uh, now it's the Naka Memorial Show. Uh -huh. It used to be called the Nampukai Show, and it was strictly for members of Nampukai, which was John's club. Yeah, you know that, that was supposed to be developing teachers, except that you know it's the same group of teachers all the time. But um, over the last several years. Um, particularly since John died and there's no new members of Nampukai because the qualification for membership was to be a student of John's. Yeah. It was kind of hard to do that Self -limiting. when he's not here. Um, Ted kind of took it over when Nampukai dissolved as a club and he 
invites people from various clubs, people he knows who have nice trees in their collection. Maybe not they're not members of clubs, but he knows you know he's worked with them or they're students of his or whatever. And um, it's a, it's a really it's an excellent show. It's one of the better shows in L.A. Mm-hmm. And it gives it's one of the few places that a people that aren't part of a club actually have an opportunity to show trees to the public. And, and you're right. There's nothing cool. like getting a tree ready for a show. And your trees, I don't care how nice they look in your garden, when you see it on a display, on a display stand, and yeah. you know, in that setting, they're just so much over the top better. It's, um, it's a huge difference. Until you've lived it, you don't really you understand no clue, it. But yeah, but and until you've stressed over your trees and adjusted every single wire. But the first time you leaf. walk into that room and you see your Gosh. tree on the stand and the accent plant and the backdrop, and it's like, wow, that's my tree. And never looked you, like that in my garden. And then you see trees that you've never seen before that someone else put 5, 10, 20, 40 years into, and you start understanding how moving great bonsai can be. It's in a show more than on a bench where there's something behind it where you can't see as well, where the light's not right, right. where it's crammed in with a bunch of other stuff. And, is, and, you know, for most people, like people walk into the nursery, especially people that don't know bonsai, they're like, whoa. So many trees. But, you know, it's just, it's kind of overwhelming. But it's not at all the same as seeing a tree in a show setting. No. And there are, one neat thing about Southern California is you've always had more diversity of kinds of shows with different backdrops. You've had famously your winter silhouette show. It's not like your average club show. It's just a different month. It seems like you've had some fun different events over the yeah, years. Yeah, well, like the, the Nampu Kai show. Um, those trees are displayed with no stands, no accent plants. Yeah, it's just a really They're clean on, display. Clean, like... Yeah gallery style display where yes. the trees are on you know boxes plain Ped- white boxes pedestals. and stuff um pedestals yeah that's and it was only because of youtube that i even realized that show existed and so that's when i started seeing the trees in that so and you know that's been going on for decades yeah and but from the beginning it was it was like that mm-hmm. you know um and then that's you so know cool. some Why of the did clubs you show a tree in in uh, that show no, for the same I'm, I'm inviting yeah. you. You, 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 be, you invited me in the last year to come down here. You want well, to now you're on the spot. So. Now I'm definitely on the spot. <laughs> and I remember I didn't have an answer for you then, and I don't have an answer now. <laughs> but I said I would love to, and just the dull practicalities of my life have made that challenging. <laughs> I'm still dying to visit a single bonsai nursery in Southern California. That is high on my list. Okay. And so, what's that? <laughs> there's a it's your bonsai garden. It's kind of a nursery. We're also sitting in your house. Yeah. So this is it. We'll say Kimura Bonsai Nursery is the one nursery I've been to. Yeah, I think and it's this less. Is your house. It's way less of a nursery now than it used to be. I right. Mean, you you were never at the old place. Yeah. No. This is like an awesome bonsai garden out and back. So, it's well, pretty great. Well, thanks for saying that because that's that's my goal, much to his chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> And I highly recommend anyone coming through here, don't just stop at Magic Mountain. Get off the road and come oh, see yeah, the trees. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And the trees are growing so well here. I'm so happy. For those who don't know, Bob is actually fairly new to this place, still under 12 months. And it's so awesome to see how happy the trees are right now. Yeah, I'm really happy because I was you know, a little apprehensive because I didn't know quite what to expect. Like my trees never had snow on them before. <laughs> you know, they had snow on them this winter. That's crazy. <laughs> That's seriously crazy. <laughs> but yeah, but uh yeah, no, I'm I'm thrilled with the way things are coming. That's really um, awesome. You know, it's um not quite 100% of what my vision was, but it's 60%. Mm-hmm. And in the first year, I'll I can ask for more. I'll take it for That's sure. So cool. So. Well, this has been fantastic. I think we covered almost everything. Just, you know, all the clubs in California, how to teach, how to bring in people from outside, how to make material from scratch, and then how to set up a nursery out here. Cool. Thank you all so much for chatting today. Thanks, thanks for having us. us. And thanks for a great workshop. Oh, thank you all. That was super fun. The music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue.